God has been so faithful. And we're, we're kicking off this series for the next month talking about who we are, kind of where we've come from, where we are now, and where we hope to go. And so this video, for, for some of you, it's kind of an introduction to where did Sojourn begin? What are our origins? For others of you, you were in the pictures there. Uh, and you can remember those days. I hope for all of us, it brings us together, gets us on the same page, and gets us pointed in the same direction. 20 years ago, Sojourn was birthed out of a deep desire, kind of two deep desires. One was to see God move and uh, the gospel move in, in new and fresh ways in the city of Louisville. And in this desire, it wasn't a desire to reinvent the gospel. It wasn't this desire to kind of water down the word or, or move away from the word, but really to bring the word, which is timeless, into our community and to root a church in God's word and in, in the history of the church. But with that, there was a desire uh, to plant a church that recognized that we live in a Genesis 3 world, right? That we live in a world that's filled with brokenness and pain and loss and doubt. And so some of the guiding questions behind the origins of our church were, what would it look like to be a community of faith where you're grounded in God's word, but it's also okay to acknowledge the pain and the heartache and the struggle of faith? What would it look like to be a community of faith that, that didn't paint smiles on our faces on Sundays because that's what you do when you go to church? What would it look like to be a church that honors you know, the hardships and, and the, what happens in the, the trenches every day of life. What would it look like to wrestle and struggle through those things together? And God honored that desire and those questions in a big way because here we are 20 years later and what started as a Bible study with about 15 people has now grown to a church with over 5,000 people worshiping in it every single Sunday. And what started in one location, now we have four locations, one here on the East End, the original one which started in Midtown, one in J-Town, and we have a church in New Albany, and a lot's changed since then, since those early days, besides just the growth. You know, in the early days, Sojourn was very anti-building. It's like, we're never going to have a building. Only sellouts have a building. Uh, now we have five buildings. Uh, in the early days, Sojourn used to brag about hiding the offering box. Like, we don't care about money. People would come, hey, we want to support your work. Well, you got to play hide and seek with the offering box. It's hidden somewhere in the auditorium. And then they couldn't pay their bills. Uh, and now we have a multi-million dollar budget. I mean, so much has changed. But the desire to see the gospel go forth in powerful and fresh and honest ways in our community, that hasn't changed. That's still what's driving us and moving us Forward. We still want to be a church that is deeply rooted in God's word, but we also want to be a church that doesn't gloss over the minor notes of life, of suffering and hardship and doubt. We want to be able to speak to real people with real lives, with real struggles, a place where people can be honest. And so we've deliberately, as a church, and I think you guys have felt this if you've been around, we've deliberately refused to be a place that leaves no room for struggles or questions or doubts or, or just kind of those those days when you're in a funk in the faith and you're just like, I don't, I'm not feeling good. I'm not, I'm not feeling enlivened by God or by the Spirit in this moment. And we've, we've continued to desire to be a church where it's okay to say that kind of thing. You know, our name Sojourn, it means a wandering, a journey. 
a temporary stay. The New Testament authors use that, that word sojourn, sojourners, to describe the church. And throughout our history, at times it's often felt like a wandering at sojourn. It's felt like a journey. But God's been faithful and that even when we're stumbling, I feel like we're stumbling forward together. And even when we're falling, I feel like in a strange way, we're falling upward together. And so what we're doing in this series for the next three, four weeks, uh, we're going to look at our mission and then we're going to talk about our values, how we want to see that mission go forth, continue to go forth in this series. And we intentionally plan this series to come on the heels of Easter because the story of God doesn't end with the resurrection. You know, some Christians, they, they think the story ends with the cross, you know, where it's Jesus died and he died for all of our sins. But the story continues. Jesus rose. And it goes even beyond that. After Jesus rose, do you know what he did? He went and met with his disciples. And you know what happened every single time Jesus met with his disciples post-resurrection? Every single time, he put a call on their life. He put an invitation out to them. He said, listen, I've risen from the grave, and this is like world-changing truth. And you've witnessed it. And because you've witnessed it and you've experienced it, your life needs to be radically changed by it. And you need to give your life to testifying to it. To be a Christian means that you don't just believe Jesus died for you, but he also rose for you. And when you understand the resurrection, you understand that with the resurrection comes a call to mission. And that's what we're talking about this morning. What is the mission that Jesus has put before us as his people? And for a lot of people, mission is a big word. It's an intimidating word. I think for a lot of us, it's a confusing word. And so what we're going to do this morning is I want to demystify this understanding of mission for us. Like, why, do we, why are we here? What is our purpose? Contrary to what a lot of people would think, we're not here just to gather on Sundays. We're not here just to gather on Sundays and hear a sermon or sing songs. But God has actually entrusted his mission to us. And the way we, we communicate that mission, the way we've phrased it, we've, we've said that sojourn exists to reach people with the gospel, to build them up as the church, and then to send them back into the world. And this mission statement, it's not new, it's ancient. It's grounded in the great commission that Jesus gave that Michael just read for us. And this great commission, it goes out to all of us. Like Jesus is saying, listen, if you've encountered me this is why you're on this earth. I want you to go reach people with the gospel. I want you to build them up, help them grow. And then I want you to see those people join you on the mission as the mission advances. And so we're going to look at the Great Commission. It's probably one of the most famous passages in the Bible. Uh, and we're going to look at some things that are easy to miss in this text. If you've been in the church, you grew up in the church, you've probably heard a ton of sermons on the Great Commission, but I think there are some things that we, we overlook. And so we're going to look at it under three headings. One, the people. Two, the plan. And then three, the promise. The people God uses, the plan he's given us, and the promise he's given us. Starting with the people that God uses, verses 16 and 17, when people think of the Great Commission, they don't usually include these two verses. But these verses tell us a lot 
about the mission of Jesus. We're told, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So the first thing that we see about the mission of God is that the mission of God is grounded in relationships. When you think mission, so we have different kind of word association. If I say mission, you have a lot of things that pop into your mind. But the first thing I want to pop in your mind when you hear mission is relationships. It's friendships. That at the heart of the mission of God are relationships. Now we see this modeled in Jesus' life. Jesus spent the overwhelming majority of his time on this earth with a very small group of people. Have you ever thought of that? Like, I mean, he preached to masses. He, he fed the crowds at different times. He had people following him around. But Jesus had his crew. And he spent the majority of his life with this crew of 12 guys. They ate together. They traveled together. They prayed together. They prayed with and for one another. They got into arguments and fights with one another. But when God came to earth and he had this strategy for transforming this world, he said it's going to happen through some close friends, through relationships, not through programs, you know, not through great strategies. I mean, the strategies were the people. And this is why when Jesus lays out his great commission for his people, I want you to think about it. In our day, if Jesus had come in our day and he rose from the dead, we would expect what? We would expect him to go to the Colosseum, right? And do like seven sold out nights at the Colosseum where kind of like a Tony Robbins or a motivational speaker event where everyone comes in and he's like, I'm risen. You can see me right here. And this is evidence and it's proof that everything I've said is true. You know, there would be cameras and everything. That's how we think. We think it would be hyped up. Like he has risen. Hype it up. Jesus is risen. What does he do? He's like, I need to go catch up with my friends and tell them that the mission continues. And I need to go sit down with my 11 friends and tell them that they now have a work and a task to do. All too often, mission gets lost in abstraction and strategies and structures and plans. And Jesus says, no, no, the mission at its very core, it's about relationships. It's about friendships. Programs attract by addition, but relationships grow by multiplication. Now, because the mission of God is deeply relational, it's not an event, it's not a big program or production, because the mission's grounded in relationships, this means that it is inherently messy. And it's hard, and it's confusing. And like any other relationship, there are challenges that come with it. We even get a hint of it in this text when it says the 11 disciples. You know, 11's an awkward number. It's not a strong number like 12, the 12 disciples. No, it's the 11. 11's kind of a number that limps, you know? Matthew's reminding us that, yeah, there were originally 12 disciples. One of them betrayed Jesus and then took his own, took his own life. It, it tells us something about 
what it means to be a community on mission. It means that, you know, if Jesus' relationships were difficult and dysfunctional, if he didn't have a perfect group or circle of friends, then we shouldn't expect that either. That as we think about our calling is to build relationships, we need to recognize sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes it's going to be dysfunctional. And I think it's a naive view of the mission of God to think we're going to move forward and there's never going to be hardship or opposition when, when Jesus, one of his best friends, betrayed him and then took his own life. I mean, that's dysfunction, is it not? And yet that's where Jesus chose to move. The disciples model for us true biblical community, a community that's messy, that's broken, that's dysfunctional. And this is even brought home in the next verse when Matthew tells us that the 11 disciples are there. They see the risen Lord. Did you guys catch this? They see him, risen from the grave. It says they worshiped him, but some doubted. Like, I don't, I don't know exactly what that means other than what it says, but Jesus told them to go, to, they're at the mountain, and someone's like, I don't know if he's risen from the dead. Jesus shows up, and they're still like, is that really him? Others of them are down on their knees, and I think for a lot of them, there's this sense of both worship and doubt, that he's risen. Oh my goodness, is he really? I've never experienced something like this. They see it with their own eyes, but they still doubt. I find it incredibly comforting and reassuring that Matthew didn't scratch this little detail from the history. Matthew's writing his gospel. That would have been an easy one. Well, you know, James and John doubted, but for the most part they didn't, so we're going to leave that out. No, he includes it here to encourage us that at the heart of God's mission is people building relationships, but even in the midst of that, those people are very imperfect. And that sometimes we worship and sometimes we doubt, and usually the Christian life is filled with both. Amen? And the encouragement is if your life's filled with both worship and doubt, you're well on your way to becoming a disciple of Jesus. The mission can be messy because it's all about relationships. And Jesus doesn't call them out for their doubt. He doesn't make them go run laps. He acts as if it's normal. Doubt is not a virtue, but it's also not a deal breaker for Jesus. So the big thing I want you to see, when you think about the mission of God, who does God use? He uses people who build relationships with people. He uses flawed people, people with doubts, dysfunctional people, dysfunctional groups of people. At times it's messy. At times it's really hard. And at times you almost want to give up because it's so ugly. I mean, could you imagine the circle of friends the night of Jesus' crucifixion? Like Judas, who was the buddy, he's gone. He's totally betrayed you. Peter's out denying. The other disciples are nowhere to be found. It would have been very easy for Jesus once he rose from the grave to be like, well, that was before my resurrection, but I'm moving on. I'm getting new friends and better friends because those friends aren't very good friends. But instead he goes back to them and says, no, we're going to do this together. Now, as we think about what does it mean for us together to lock arms for the mission of God in this city and beyond, there's a real word for us here. That the church, the church 
is always both beautiful and it's broken. The church is always both powerful and pathetic at the same time. And when the church is beautiful, when it's powerful, when things are going really, really well, it's so easy to be encouraged. But when you see the brokenness or the pathetic side, when you see kind of the warts of the church, it's really easy to want to give up. And I think one of the reasons the mission of God gets stalled somewhat in the American church is because we're a people that when the pathetic side of the church comes up or when the broken side of the church comes up, we don't know what to do. And typically, like, like most of our relationships these days, we just kind of bail. I can tell you, as the pastor, I get to see both probably to the extremes more than, more than anyone here. And there are times I'm like, I have the greatest job in the world. This is the greatest church in the world. There, this is incredible. I can't believe I get to be a part of this. And then there are other times where it's like, I can't even look at that right now. But if we're going to do this together, we have to know that. We have to be okay with that. Sometimes it's going to be really strong. Sometimes, sometimes it's going to let you down. And that's the way the community of God's always been. And that's who God chooses to use. The mission is all about relationships, which means it's messy. That's the people. The next part's the plan. Jesus, when we get to the actual commission, he tells his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I heard one pastor say, Jesus could say anything after this, and the only response would be, yes, sir. He says, all authority in heaven, on earth. I'm in charge of it all. And then he goes, and those are big words. With all in the authority in heaven, on earth, feels like things are building. Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, it can easily get lost on us. He actually says, go disciple all nations. In disciple, it's, it's just not that, that flashy or fancy of a word. Jesus doesn't use the word that a lot of Christians, when they talk about the mission of God or hype people up for the mission of God, normally we talk about go and preach to the ends of the earth, go and win, go and convert. And Jesus uses this really slow almost boring word, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, now go and make disciples. This picture of making disciples, it's not a picture of massive crowds coming to an altar, bowing down in tears and giving their life over this picture of making disciples. It's much more a picture of people in a living room sitting around together and talking or a teacher in a classroom. Inherent in the call. Remember, the mission of God is all about relationships. Jesus is saying, go and share your lives with other people. And as you do, tell them, bear witness to what I've done in history and what I've done in your life. And I think one of the real hindrances to the mission of the American church is we just overcomplicate it so much. In the end, Jesus says, this is what it means to be on mission. You go and you're friends with people. Not like you're, you're conning them. You know, not like the friend who's like, hey, I'd really love to hang out and talk. And then you show up and there's a multi-level marketing, you know, plan laid out for you. He says, no, you, 
You just go be friends with them. You build relationships with them. And then you, with honesty, talk about what I've done in your life and even more what I've done in history. You don't have to have a marketing pitch. You don't need to memorize a script or a diagram or a list of syllogisms. You just need to walk with me, walk with other people, and then tell them about me. You show up, you speak up, and you do that in confidence that sooner or later, Jesus, with all of his authority and power, will transform their souls. Notice Jesus didn't say, I'm giving you all authority. He says, all authority has been given to me. Our job isn't to transform people's lives. Our job isn't to convert people. Our job is to be a faithful presence in their life, testifying to Jesus, knowing that all authority belongs to him. And the only way people come to know him is through his spirit, not through our fancy words. And I think we live in a results-oriented culture, and this is just slow. This is like farming. And we want to microwave things. Like we are a microwave people. And I think a lot of the credibility of the American church has been hurt is because we've tried to microwave the mission. You know, we do drive-by evangelism. You know, drive by people's house and just fire the gospel at them and then leave. Throw Molotovs at them. We, we don't actually know what it means to like sit with people and actually be their friend regardless of how they respond to the gospel. John Stott, he wrote this 50 years ago, but it was, it was a very prescient word then and now. He says, it comes more natural to us, he's talking about the church, to shout the gospel at people from a distance, you know, from a billboard or from a track or from that drive-by stuff. And I'm not saying that's always wrong, but hear what Stott says. He says, it comes more natural to us to shout the gospel at people from a distance than to involve ourselves deeply in their lives, to think ourselves into their culture and their problems, and to feel with them and their pains. Yet this implication of our Lord's example is inescapable. I read that and thought, wow. I mean, what Stott's saying is Jesus involved himself deeply in our lives he thought about what it means to be in our culture. He thought about our problems. He empathized with us in our pains and our struggles and what we're going through. So we have what? We have empathy. We have identity. Like he identifies with us. He empathizes with us. He shares with us. And when people in America think of Christians, do they think of those words? Man, those are people who know how to identify with you when you're suffering and know how to empathize. Those are people who know how to enter in who've actually put the time and energy into thinking about the problems we experience. I mean, so often we come across as detached, arrogant, lobbing things from afar, not up close in relationship the way our Lord and Savior did it. And we've seen the fruit of it, and it hasn't been good. You know, it's, it's easy to dislike someone from a distance, but real authentic relationships, that builds a level of trust. 
So what I want you to hear in this is God's mission is all about relationships, and he's called all of us to be people who first and foremost know how to be good friends, and then we know how to talk about Jesus with honesty. You don't have to be winsome, but you need to be honest. Here's what's happened in my life. And it's amazing how compelling that is because we live in a generation that's been marketed to death. Amen? Like, we're all cynics. That's what America's done to us and our culture's done to us. We're cynical of everything. And you know how you break through cynicism? It's relationships. That's where real trust is. You know, I can see all the ads in the world. I'm probably not going to buy your thing. But if I have a couple of friends who say, I bought it, it's pretty sweet, you should try it. I'm like, oh, maybe I will. Relationships build trust. We don't need to make things happen. So wherever God has located you in your family, in your job, in your circle of friends, you don't need to think about the mission. You can, and God might call you beyond, but where the mission starts is right there. Who are the people in your life that you're called to be friends with? What does it look like to be good friends with them, to show up and to speak up? I mean, there's such a beautiful simplicity to this mission. And it would be easy to think, really, that's going to change the world? Like we show up in people's life and we build relationships and we tell them about Jesus and that's going to transform the world? No way, except for it has. Here we stand 2,000 years later and billions of people worship Jesus when it started with 11. Like there is a brilliant strategy here. A brilliant strategy. But it's beautiful and it's simple. Now, Thinking of our church, this vision, it's woven into the fabric of who we are. From the beginning, Sojourn wanted to be a community church. You know, Sojourn was planted at kind of the, the high mark of the mega churches, where it's, we're going to bring everyone from the state to our church. Sojourn resisted that and said, no, we want to be a community church. We want to be grounded in a particular place among particular people so that relationships can be built, trust can be earned, and that the gospel might be heard with credibility, and that our lives might be where, bear witness to the power of God's word and the power of his spirit in his community. We want to be grounded locally so that we're not just spewing words or pitches, but people can look at what we're doing together and for the city, and they say, I don't know if I agree with them on a lot, but there is something interesting happening there. It's always been a part of our mission. Conviction being that the best place to become Christians and to grow as Christians is in the local church. And one of the challenges we faced as Sojourn is that with all of the growth and uh, expansion we've experienced, uh, it's made being a community church pretty hard. We used to be one church. I mean, you saw the pictures. It was 20 people grounded in a very specific location and specific relationships. Now we have four locations in two different states. And this expansion, it's made being a local church exceedingly difficult. And I can tell you from being on the inside, I've been here six and a half years. We've invested a whole lot of our time into strategies, systems, structures, and trying to figure out how do we make this whole thing work? We're in all these different locations with different needs and contexts. How do we do this? 
and we've experienced a lot of confusion. And I think you guys, if you've been around, you've experienced confusion and at times uh, lack of communication. You said, what are we doing? Where are we? What's happening? Um, we as the, the leadership for the last few years, a number of us, we felt like the complexity of our organization was choking out the mission. We're spending so much time trying to navigate all of these things that would bore you to death because no one's really interested in polity, church politics, except for like three of us. But it was choking us out. It was taking all of our time and energy. And then about a year ago, Pastor Chad shared with me a bookmark that Sojourn handed out in the early days. Uh, and some of it was cheesy, but some of it was really, really cool. Um, on it was a list of values, but in the day they called them core passions, uh, our core passions as a church. And the first one was bold love, like we're going to speak the truth in love. One of them was uh, cultivating creativity. One of them was expectant gatherings. What was cool was to see, man, a lot of those core passions, they still mark our church. But the very last one on that bookmark was one that said simple structures, and the tagline for this passion of having simple structures as a church said, because doing church should never get in the way of being the church. And I read that, and uh, some of the other lead pastors read that, and we felt this shared conviction. Man, doing church or doing the church, all, all of the systems, it's really gotten in the way of us being the church. And so we spent the last nine months meeting, praying, talking about where we've been. And we've been asking one big question, how can we honor our past, our shared history, and the deep relationships we have with one another, while at the same time embracing the reality of how we've grown and the possibility for our future? Like, how do we, how do, we do this, in a sense, together, but also recognizing, man, we're not one church anymore. And that's something all the lead pastors have felt. For, for six years, we've said Sojourn is one church in four locations or one church with four campuses. And the conviction of the lead pastors is we're not one church. We're four distinct, beautiful, healthy, vibrant churches that deeply love one another, but we're really different. And that difference isn't a bad thing. It's, it's a picture of the beauty of the diversity of God's church. And so what we kind of came to is we said, you know what, we need to embrace this reality that we're not just one big church and we're not going to put all of our energy into trying to figure out how to hold it all together. We're four churches. And we want to put the majority of our dollars and the decision-making authority here at the local level in the local church. Because in the end, Sojourn's not a brand, it's not a style, it's not a music label, it's a local church. And now we're four local churches. Now, with that being said, we do want to honor our shared history, our common vision, and the love we have for one another. The lead pastors at Sojourn are some of my closest friends. Pastor Jamal, who's the newest pastor on our team, he's become a very dear friend to me. He's taught me a lot. He continues to teach me a lot. Pastor Lyle is like an older brother, and Lyle's this interesting contradiction of a human being because if he preaches... He gets up and he preaches fire, like paint peels off the walls when he preaches. But in interpersonal relationships, he's one of the warmest, most encouraging men I've ever met in my life. 
He's like a brother who comes along and encourages me, teaches me a lot about parenting, marriage. And then Pastor Jonah, who leads New Almighty, he's been one of my closest friends for 20 years now. I performed his wedding. Uh, we both have so much dirt on each other, we could bring each other down at any time. Um, but we really love each other. And so we all feel this sense of like, we are brothers and we have a deep love for one another, but we want to lead our churches. And so what does it look like for us to honor that, but also to say, but we're not just going to like, hey, we'll see you in a couple of years. And so we're making a commitment as four churches to lock arms together and pursuing God's mission here in Louisville and in Southern Indiana. And so there's going to be distinction, but we're going to come together to start new works because we want to see new works started. There's going to be times when we come together to collaborate. Sometimes we're going to do things together because we love one another. But as a whole, we want to recognize that the mission of God, it's, it's in relationships. And relationships, they're always local. They're always grounded in a particular place with particular people. So in the weeks to come, we're going to get, more, get into more of the specific details of this transition. We're going to have member meetings. This is a conversation we're going to be having together. But for now, what I want you to hear is this. I've poured an awful lot of my life and so have a lot of other pastors into navigating these decisions. And the reason we've done it is because we want to better empower you. The reason we've done it is because the mission of God moves with power when the people of God don't relegate it to the professionals, but they all own it together. And so if we put all of this energy into making these transitions and in the end you said, you know what, I'm not into the whole evangelism thing or, or sharing the gospel thing, then it's a waste. Because the mission goes forward when we all own it together. Most churches in America are in decline. And by God's grace, we have seen nothing but steady and consistent growth throughout our history. Like, that's amazing. And so we want to encourage you to not be prideful from that, but but to step up and to play your part well. Lastly, the promise Jesus gives us, he says to the disciples, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And we know he's going to ascend shortly after this. But there's a, a really key principle of the Christian life here where Jesus says, if you want to encounter me, you encounter me when you're on, on mission with me. He says, I'm sending you into the world, and I'm going to be with you as I send you into the world. If you want to experience Jesus' presence in your life, there's no surer way to do that than to step into his mission. The people I know who've known Jesus the best, you know, we all probably have someone in our life like that, most of us. We know people that they just know Jesus on a different level. You guys know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one that I talk with them and I'm like, wow. Like, I know Jesus like I know a lot of things. Like, yeah, I kind of, you know him so well. Those are the people, almost always, who are the most committed to his mission. There's this weird thing in American Christianity. It's really strange where we say, I'm a Christian you don't sacrifice much for him. You don't do much. You, you probably aren't even involved in a local, actual community because it's too messy 
for you, but you consider yourself a Christian. And there's a whole lot, probably the majority of Americans are there. And then we wonder why the church, there's no vibrancy or power or movement in the church. It's because we want to talk about, well, yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus, so I'll go to heaven when I die. So in a sense, I want to walk with him, but I don't want to go where he's going. <laughs> he's going to broken people and hurting people, and I don't want to do that. So I'm just going to believe in him, come to church on Sunday, make sure that my card gets punched so that when I stand before St. Peter, I can say, no, it's been validated, I get in. And Jesus invites us to such a deeper, more powerful, more beautiful life. There's work to be done. And if you're here and you're a believer, I want you to know the Lord of the universe is inviting you to take part. We very much feel like this is a new day in the life of our church. It's a chance to kind of hit reset and look forward. And I want to ask you, what would it look like for you to hit reset in your commitment and involvement here? We have so much potential. And I've said this many times, I'm committed to being a lead pastor here until probably 65 at that point, I'll hand it off. Uh, but I'm committed 20 or 30 years if the Lord will have me and you guys will have me. And I look around at our church with the people, the resources, the money, but also the training and experience. And we are positioned so well to do massive impact for the gospel. I think in the next 20 or 30 years, we could send out 100 church plants and more than 100 missionaries. I think we could start a number of new works in this city and in this region. But for that to happen, we all have to get on board. For that to happen, it can't be about one guy who stands on a stage and preaches or about great music. It has to be about a people who are passionate, filled with the Spirit, eager to see the gospel go forward in our city. And so my question for you is, what part is God calling you to play and what would it look like for you to play that part well? And maybe the first step is for us to be a people who pray. And so I'm gonna pray now before we go to communion, but I wanna ask you, would you commit to praying for us five times a week, three times a week? Would you make some commitment to say, I'm gonna pray for the church for the rest of this spring? I think we're in spring and <laughs> into the summer. And then as we hit the fall, there's going to be more stuff being rolled out. We can hit the ground, prayed up, ready to run. Let me pray.